you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Welcome. You are now listening to The Professional Girls, it's the kid Ebony from the PhD podcast, the only place where you would hear interviews from Black women anonymously on stories that would enlighten and expand on taboo topics. Now, if you hear someone that sounds familiar, mind the business that pays you, child. If you like the PhD podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please, five star reviews only. Hold me down, don't hold me up. Merch is now available on the site as well as my book list. So please make sure you visit the link in the show notes below. You can connect with the kid on Instagram at the Professional Homegirl and at the PhD Podcast. If you are on Twitter, please follow me at the PhD Podcast. Now, if you are all caught up with episodes, listen to the bonus episodes by supporting the PhD Podcast Patreon account. To support, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash the PhD Podcast. Now, please keep in mind that all of my guests are anonymous, so let's begin this week's episode. So I'm super excited about this episode because my guest will be sharing her story on being a 911 dispatcher. So to my guest, thank you so much for being a, being a part of the show. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, babes. I'm doing real good. Long time no talk to, babe. I know, I know. She was actually one of my first friends when I moved to New York like 10 years ago. I know, I'm long ass <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> You know, it was very hard for me to find somebody to um, come on the show to talk about this. Like, I couldn't find anybody. I mean, I guess you would have to be in that world because if you had asked me, um, like, asked me about call takers or anybody in law enforcement, I have a whole heap for you, girl. I, I know some. I know. I know some undercover detectives. <laughs> I definitely know some police officers. 
And I definitely know 911 dispatchers. I know EMTs and fire departments. So I mean, generally, and I mean, I feel like honestly, I kind of knew all those people even before I um, went into the police academy myself. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was shooting my shop at least like 10, 15 people. And then I thought about you and I'm like, wait, I think she was one. <laughs> I sure was. And that's the best part. Honestly, um, you can go a couple of different ways. Like I started off, you do the academy, you do the police academy, but it depends on what division that you want to go in, start in as. So I didn't want to start as a cadet, like an actual police officer. I went, I had originally applied for a position called police communications technician, which shorthand is PCT. And then you find out that that is just a nice way of saying you are a 911 call taker. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you when you get into that, that, I mean, the training is already um, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. And I think the training was either in Queens or if you were generally closer, closer in Brooklyn, you were downtown, uh, downtown Brooklyn, like over on Flatbush Artillery. Mm. Now, how long were you a dispatcher? Um, I, well, that's the thing. Okay. So I was, an, you're a 911, you start off as a 911 call taker and you can, you, that's how you train. Uh, they actually train you in that position and you stay in that position for minimum. Uh, technically, they're supposed to be a minimum one year, 12 months. But what I ended up doing was like, I hit like my, my 11 month mark. Mm -hmm. And I was like, can I start training for dispatching? Because technically 911 call taking is one element and then you graduate into a dispatcher. Oh. And, and is, a little bit, is a little bit more money than oh. Yeah. So I so feel like you, they, I'll go ahead. No, I was going to say, when you start off, you start off as a PCT, a police communications technician, even though technically PCT, you can do 911 call taking and dispatching. You can do both. But if you are dual trained, then you are much better off and you're definitely going to see way more money. And then it also depends on what your shift is. You have three shifts with the police uh, force. You have 7 a.m. to 3. That's tier one. Tier two is 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. That's tier two. And then tier three was me which is the highest paid tier because I had it like that. Well, actually, no, honestly, night <laughs> differential automatically makes you have the, um, the higher pay um, because you're sacrificing your sleep, essentially. I worked from 11, I used to go into work for 11 p.m. and I didn't get out until 7 a.m. Damn. Yeah, I didn't mind. The only thing that sucks about working for New York City Police Department is the mandatory overtime. They, right. can, they can hold you mandatorily for three out of your five days of work for oh 16 hour shifts, double shifts. Oh my God. So you enjoyed this job, huh? I mean, you, you do and you, I, I enjoyed it more definitely when I became a dispatcher. I'm not going to lie. The second that you can become, you can stop taking 911 calls. Trust me, if you're in the position, you would. I think I have... I can always tell people the most memorable calls that make you no longer want to be a 911 call taker. And then some of the just funny calls, like. But wait, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into yeah. that. <laughs> no problem. So what would you say would be some good qualities for this position? Oh, you have to be an active listener and just a good listener, period, and a great communicator. Um, they don't really train you on how to handle uh, certain situations, they just more so train you on your communication skills. So then you 
take that your your communication skills and apply it. So somebody that's super hysterical on the phone, you need to be able to talk to them and talk them down, but then not sound condescending or patronizing. And you also want to be empathetic, but not sound like you pity them. Mm. So, you know, you just gotta, it's kind of like, yeah, active listening and effectively communicating in a way that you, it's kind of like, it's like kind of like when you just talking to a man, like, you know, you got to ask the right questions to get the right answers. So, right. Yeah, I was about to say, I know niggas hate talking to you, man. Oh, no, yeah, definitely do that. And the fact that I was a communications major in college with, yes, a I remember. Yeah, with a concentration in public relations. So, I thought I wanted to do some versions of like many elements of like PR and publicity and, you know, communicate. And I love that you are doing podcasts because I feel like, that's totally something that we probably talked about. Cause when it was, when did we meet? It was like me, you, did you, was it also my friend Nevia? I can't remember when I felt like years ago, but I feel like this is like a project that we were all like, we all met on or something. Yeah. But I do remember you being, uh, I do remember your major being communications and I'm like, Oh wow. That's so crazy. Cause it's kind of like a full circle. I just mm-hmm. didn't ever think that you'd be using your degree in this capacity, but that's kind of dope though. I mean, honestly, it is in theory, but I'm not going to lie. It's it's weird to say it, but you get tired of talking. <laughs> yeah. No, no lie. Since I have a podcast, I've been doing this for over three years. Oh, dope. Yeah, thank you. I, I get tired of talking. You do. It's like, it's weird too, because it's like, I can imagine in your case, and when you make it your job, I can imagine like when you go on vacation, you probably like for real, put your phone down. But I guess in my capacity, like even my job now, I kind of, um, I'm still more of a communicator because I work uh, in calculations and I, I build quotes for customers working on, um, I work for Home Depot corporate now. Mm-hmm. So that's a completely different job. But this job, um, I would definitely say call taken, 911 call taken, you just have to have the right, stomach for it as well because some of them calls are not yeah (laughs) but before we get into those type of calls what inspired you to take this path oh well I'm always been about community service I love serving my community Mm -hmm. so I mean in any capacity that can be I remember I got over my once I got over my first fear in college um working with um, people with special with special abilities or um, special needs. Because mm-hmm. I don't know why I had this kind of fear almost or like this apprehension to work with them. And I think after working with them and then my school being, I went to Virginia State, so we're very um, organization-based type mm-hmm. of school. So I was really into community service, working with the youth. Once I got over my special needs kind of, apprehension I ended up being a coordinator for um you know partnering my school with the Special Olympics and coordinating events so yeah it was really dope I mean and so it was like definitely like kind of one of those moments where you're like oh I really think that this is really dope but I just put together here (laughs) you know like and then I also got over a fear of whatever my fear was that I couldn't even like actually put it into words I just knew that it was an apprehension that I had um between that I love community service that way and then I love face-to-face interaction a lot of times so I did think that I wanted to do 
uh, field work. So when you start off with the police, um, you do do a couple of weeks of uh, ride along mm -hmm. and on the field work. So that's like patrolling um, on foot. And then also like, I think I was in the seven one or the seven three. No, actually my precinct is seven one. I actually visited the seven three. I mean, bulletproof vest. Mm. Um, yeah, before you leave, you gotta, they give you a bulletproof vest. They try on a couple of different ones, make sure that it fits you. Um, you had to be in plain clothes. So I actually felt worse in plain clothes because <laughs> yeah. when you're in plain clothes, it's like, uh, I just look like everybody else. Yeah. And so riding in the back seat of a patrol car um, everywhere with the other two officers and answering calls and, um, your training has to come into play because then you'll hear the dispatcher come over the radio like, oh, we got a 52D at, you know, so-and-so street. 52 means dispute um, or like a fight or argument. And then a D just means dispute. But like, let's say if it was like a 52K, 52K means knife, meaning that there is a, there is a weapon mm -hmm. involved. So then, yeah, I think my calls were mostly like, what was it? The... Uh, I think everybody knows that McDonald's on Fulton and Troop, like across from- Oh, by the train station. He's like right in front by the train station. Yeah. And it's kind of a couple of variant schools around the neighborhood. So a lot of kids loiter there. And I am five, five feet, maybe five foot one. And I am also very youthful looking. Yeah. So trying to break up a group of kids that look like just like you and if, are taller than you because these new kids are gargantuan so <laughs> so you know it's it was definitely like oh, actually having people come up to me and be like you're an officer you're a police officer and like their cameras are in my face um they're following me on the street and oh, they're like you're, you're a police officer like she's so cute she's so little like what can she do and I was just like I can arrest you for harassment is what I can. Wait, so I, we're going to have to do a follow-up episode because, so what you're pretty much saying is you started off as, you start off as, you start, when you join the police academy, you do all of the training. You get all of the training. They but what give does the you, training look like? Oh, training is mostly book training. Book training is you have to learn like over a hundred codes. Mm -hmm. um, be able you get tested on them you have to listen to phone calls be able to assess them um be able to disposition them uh find out if it's if it's a, a situation where you can't locate the custom like locate the person there or they can't tell you where they are some of them times that they're whispering just like pretty much assess every single call that's one part of it based on the notes that you're the the book work that you actually learn but then you actually have to put that into action so then they also tell you, okay, now you got to do field work. You got to do foot patrol. You got to be um, with other police officers while they're listening. And it was funny because as I'm listening to the calls come in from the dispatcher, I'm like, oh, I know who that is. Because <laughs> like, I know the people in the actual dispatching office. And right. Brooklyn had, is Brooklyn was the hub for, before the Bronx location opened, Brooklyn was the hub for all the boroughs. Even though you're in Brooklyn, I can be, you're dispatching in Staten Island. You're dispatching right. in Queens. You're dispatching in the Bronx everywhere, so. But when you got done with this, so, but when you got done with this position, 
Mm-hmm. That you became when you got done with this position did that mean that you became a police officer or were you already a police officer oh no i was i'm a police communication technician so okay they take you out on those trips so that you can complete your training pretty much you want to make sure that you have you know every aspect so pretty much before you become a police officer police officers have to come to us and they have to do training with us as well so they have to sit there with the with the headphones on their ears and listen to our calls and then be like, and stuff like that. So it kind of goes both ways. Right. If you're doing this position, you gotta be trained in this position. If you're doing that job, you gotta be trained in this. You gotta know every aspect of every angle of the job so that you can, I don't know, it's just, I think it it definitely gives you a better perspective. And you can also just gauge and understand each person's position better so you can know how to handle it. So I definitely understand that. Absolutely, and it just gives you an experience of, really knowing what it is that you want to do. Do you want to work in the precinct? Do you want to work out on the field? Do you want to work in an office setting? Right. So it gives you all of those elements for you to determine it yourself. Because I'm not going to lie, of course, I'd still, while I was still working for NYPD, I took the police, I took a police officer test and I passed that too with flying colors. Okay. 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 We like to pass the test with flying colors now. Exactly. I mean, I do like to pass the test now. Exactly. <laughs> That is my thing. I, I was like, I ain't graduate with honors and cum laude for nothing, you know? Listen, wait, would you, would you want to become a police officer? In New York, no. Facts. <laughs> in, like, I, I'm staying in Georgia now, and Georgia, they pay more. They have a much, there's their system, their dynamic for um, law enforcement is a lot more broken up. It's by the county. Right, and, right. So, and things like that. So, like, I feel like everywhere but New York, everybody gets actually paid, gets paid a much higher uh, tax bracket. <laughs> yeah. why, why is it though? Because you would think that um, doing law enforcement. With all, and with everything that we got going on, you would think that we would, but surprisingly, I'm not too sure um, why other states, honestly, the highest state, like if you want to get, you can almost touch, yeah, you can almost touch six digits in Cali. Oh, wow. Yep, 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 yep. My friend is in, she is, I think she want to say she's in Los Angeles. She's in California. Yeah. And she started, she did, I mean, there's, they were starting at, if New York starts at 3940, um, which is trash. Right. um, But really and truly, I think New York, you don't start seeing real good money until like year three. Damn. I think it's yeah, after one, it's like one, three, and five are the increments. Um, but in like other any other state, you can start at like 70, 75K. Mm. So yeah, New York wasn't isn't the greatest, but after you work with New York in in New York for a period of time, those evaluations, those raises, and then those different tiers of your experience, they do add up. Because I know people who are there now who have been there before me and are going to be there long time after me or got there when I, or came right after me and are still there because the benefit, it's a full-time job. It's dependable. It, like, it's just, it is a good job to have. And I know a lot of the women that work there uh, for sure had like kids. (laughs) got kids, got benefits, work, live on their own. Like they doing the daggone thing because they know that they want to maintain a lifestyle, a certain lifestyle. And after a certain point in time, yeah, you can pay for a good lifestyle by yourself. So what were some challenges you faced while in this position? 
just the mostly the phone calls. Yeah. I would say um, that and a couple of power trips. Obviously, you already um, when you're working with law enforcement, you can imagine people who have um, people who are in a certain tier of uh, like a principal or a captain or something like that, like who are in certain tiers, they have a certain kind of cloud around them that make or an air about them that seems like you, you can't say anything to them or or anything like that, or you can't address things or they can't be wrong. So that kind of arrogance mm -hmm. did flow a little bit around the office, um, which is not like, doesn't really affect your work, but it in certain moments, like a majority of that job was females. So mm. I would say that being that it's kind of set, set like that, it's just a lot of talk, a lot of chatter, but nothing like high, nothing high school. I guess it was just always this kind of like, you're always just wondering to some extent, like kind of like, can I address this with this person or should not, should I not even bother talking to this person about this or that? That's why they ended up having something called like EAU, which is like employee assistance unit where like you can literally go and talk privately confidentially and get, mm -hmm. you know, get things handled if you need to. Um, the only thing for me more personally that was difficult was definitely the phone calls. I think my worst phone call was um, a little white girl. You could tell she was just white. Sometimes you could just tell by their voice. Um, she couldn't catch her breath. She was like, <laughs> and I was just kind of like, all right, sweetie, we've been on this phone because you're trying, you honestly on a call, you need to get like their contact information, try to get the contact information under a minute, like within like the first 30 seconds of the phone call. Because I mean, obviously the first thing that you say on a phone call is not, um, you know, 911, you know, where's the emergency? We're actually asking you, where is the emergency for you to respond back with an address, you know? Um, but she wasn't. Um, I did not, I saw the, based on her tracking information that she was in, I believe like Staten Island or Staten Island, I think. And she just would not catch her breath. I eventually kind of found out that it wasn't like she had, was having difficulty breathing, because that's what I thought it was at first, is that she was uh, crying. You know, when you mm. cry so hard that you- You, you hyperventilate. Kind of, yeah, kind of hyperventilate. So that was probably my first worst call because I really had no clue at what was going on, but I was trying to calm her down, trying to be more of an active listener, trying to see if I can hear anything in her background, try to track her information because she was calling me from, um, I found out found, I found out afterwards, she was calling me from a house phone, thank God. So therefore I had her landline. So I did, I was just started to go and confirm information so that I could put in the job. But like, imagine going from putting in a job, just thinking that this is just a general call for help. And I didn't dispatch any uh, EMS or anybody because I didn't know what was going on. So finally she catches her breath. And then I find out that, she is crying. She starts to tell me that she just got home from school. So that kind of helped me range how old she is so that I can know how to talk to her a certain kind of way. And then um, horrible news was that she just got home from school. Her brother also came home, oh, I guess was also home from school. But her brother, unfortunately, she found her brother hanging from a ceiling fan in his oh. bed. Oh my God. And she was uh, crying so ba bad because she couldn't get him down. 
Oh and my God. She was trying so bad. And then as soon as she said that, I'm like, type it so fast to, to dispatch EMS to get there. Um, I'm asking her how old she is so that, um, I think I asked her how old she is just for a half a second, just to know how old she was. And so I can know because she was saying it was her younger brother. Mm. So I'm thinking if she's like 14, I'm like, oh. right. Like we got like this little kid and apparently had left the, um, I dispatched EMS. I got EMS on the line. She was so distraught though that usually when we dispatch them to an EMS, we should hang up the phone call and then just let them talk to EMS. But I knew how she was taking so long to say everything that once I transferred her over, I stayed on the line. I gave them all the information. She tried to confirm some of it, but she barely did. So good thing I did stay on the line because even EMS is asking her questions like, what color is he? And she's like, he's purple, he's purple. And I'm just kind of like, oh my God. At some point I was, I was like, I was like, EMS, do y'all ask all these questions? Right, <laughs> right. But I know at the end of the day, like that's how people feel about, used to feel about 911 call takers. Not that people are like, why are y'all still asking me us questions? Um, why y'all not coming? And it's like, I'm not coming anywhere. I'm not coming to you. I am here dispatching, making sure that the people who are on their way know what's going on when once they reach there. Right. You know? So that was always kind of hard for people to wrap their head around. People get very frustrated, obviously, in emergency situations. So, you know, I don't, that's the thing. You can't take their emotions for, it's kind of like you don't want to, uh, you know, you don't want to dash away the emotions, but you can't, uh, I can't fully like be offended or take it personal or anything like that. Cause you're the one that's distraught. I'm the one that's here to help you. And I'm just going, you can cuss me out all you want, right. but I, just, I need to ask all these questions and I need to get all this information because my second worst call. Oh, just the ending of that. The ending of that situation was, um, she was not able to get him down. EMS did get there. They were able to get him down. Unfortunately, he did not make it. And apparently he was being bullied at school and his father and his father found the, the note that he left and then read it on Facebook. And how think, old was he? I think the boy was like, I want to say he, maybe he was 10, 11. How old were you when you're in like fifth or sixth grade? Yeah. Oh my God. That's so sad. Yeah. He was being, and the thing is, what's crazy is that it was actually I remember going on the news and I remember that situation ended up being posted on the news somewhere because I was ended up being on a face because the father ended up reading the note on a Facebook live. And the situation was that he was being bullied at school. They, the parents had already addressed it with the school and they technically, the school didn't do anything about it. Technically, they actually, uh -huh. the school had actually suggested that the boy take some days off from school or something like that. I can't remember. Um, so yeah, that's probably some of the more difficult ends of the job are just dealing with those calls I think my second and I think after that call I took like and then like if you have to imagine like somebody coming up to you and being like oh, okay you had a bad call take 10 minutes take take, take right minutes. and they'd be like I'm trying to take the day like forget this I'm trying to be done like I don't even want to be here no more <laughs> like well I'm gonna ask you later on about how do you uh cope with that but, um, and I also feel like you have to be a good multitasker. 
Well, yeah, you definitely do. Then that entire job is talking and typing and also putting your phone on mute to be like, hey, I need help. <laughs> right, right. You're sitting at your desk and you're like, hey, um, supervisor, we got a we got like this person and this, like, especially if they're kids and they're underage and then like, there's no parents. Um, it was, a, it's a, it'd be a couple of situations. I think the last time I had like a really bad situation was a woman whispering and she was on a cell phone and she was in a bathroom. So technically I had to call a supervisor cause I had to, um, I had to ultimately track her, um, track her phone. Um, I had to get them to track her phone number. Um, usually when you track a phone number, that usually helps you. That's only in emergency cases. And that's you honestly, sometimes, unless you are like very, very close to a cell tower that pings, honestly, I only got a five block radius on you. Mm. Maybe, maybe three blocks. Um, and please don't be in an apartment building because then I am fucked, okay? Because if you're in an apartment building, Tracking does not come with apartment numbers, okay? So mm -hmm. I don't know what floor you on. By the time we knock on every door, you might be out. Right. Might, I'm like, whatever the situation may be. In this situation, it was kind of like that. They were, I think they were in a house of some sort, but the sister was the one that was um, whispering in the bathroom. She had left, her, she had locked herself in the bathroom because... Uh, she was calling on behalf of her sister. So yeah, it was a, it was a sister. She was calling on behalf of her sister whose home she was at. Um, the sister was pregnant and being beaten up by, and being like whopped by her, um, by her baby father, her boyfriend or whatever. So because she was being beaten, um, that was a domestic violence situation. The sister tried to get the guy, get stop. the boyfriend to stop. Then he started whooping her ass. Right. <laughs> so then she runs away from being whooped into the bathroom and then she's whispering because she doesn't want to know she wants to call the police while he's while he's still here so that he can get locked up. And um she I guess the way that she was talking, it was just very, very hard to hear her. She didn't actually know the address of her own sister's house um oh my god so that was the tracking part but luckily it was a house and not an apartment um she gave us a full description of the guy so she let us know what he looked like and what he was currently wearing um we we even asked like do you know the condition of the baby do you know condition of your sister like you know was she bleeding or you know where was he hitting her or anything whether any whether any um were there any weapons involved or anything like that? So you got to ask all these questions. So, and it sucks to ask, ask all these questions while somebody's trying to hide in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yo, you just, made, you just made me think of a good question because I didn't know that it's difficult for you to locate somebody if they're in an apartment. So what are some do's and don'ts when somebody's calling and they need assistance? Because I don't think nobody really know that. If you can, honestly, if you can touch, a, if you can pick up, I mean, I know a lot of people don't have landlines anymore, but if you can call an emergency from a landline, we know exactly where you are. That phone number is attached to the, is attached to the apartment number. Oh, okay. I know that you are at, you know, 1954 apartment 2D. Great. I know that. And then once you get into the, and the only thing that sucks is that I'd say, I would say, um, Definitely tips, be next to a landline. Uh, 
if you can, no matter what the situation is, as soon as we say 911, where's the emergency? Very clearly say the numbers numerically. Say, don't say 1954, say 1954, Remsen Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> like say it. And even if that's all you say and then bang it on us, I right, that's a call for help. That's a 10. Right. We don't know the priority of the call, but priority of the call, if it's, um, I think our priorities go from zero to three. And I think zero is, a zero priority is actually the highest priority, I think. Mm. I think the numbers, I think I remember that. Not even 100% sure. About to say, somebody, if then, whenever whenever you hear this, somebody in 911 dispatcher will come for me, but it's okay. So, <laughs> they'll write it in the comments. They'll be like, no, girls, the other way around, priorities. And I'll be like, I appreciate you. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think the main tips are... Don't set yourself up for situation um, for situations. Period. But at the same time, like I can't even say have a have a another person with you at all times or anything because you never know how the situation is actually going to unfold. Your best bet is, and I just saw the other day that they just took out the the last uh, phone booth in New York. So I guess you can't run up. You can't run up yeah. to the phone booth. Wow. But they do have those 911 uh, stations, like those new station things everywhere for the most part on most blocks in Brooklyn or in New York altogether where you should be able to push a button. Oh yeah, call. they definitely got it in the hood. <laughs> oh yeah, they have that. And I'm not gonna, we used to get a lot of those calls. We definitely got a lot of those calls from, what are those um, fire department, those tall red fire department uh -huh. things? Those also call 911 too. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I would say definitely identify all of those um, emergency areas in your neighborhood every time because your phone, your cell phone is, we can track your cell phone, but the first thing that they do is check where it pings first. And then it pings, if it pings close enough, great. If it doesn't, then we just know generally your, what area you're in. Otherwise, if your phone is on and you have an iPhone, thank God, because whether your uh, thing is on or off, I think as long as your phone is on, I believe that we can track it through iPhone, track my phone. or I'm my phone, yeah. Whatever like that. We've also used that as well. Other than that, that's pretty much, I honestly, I don't, I can't think of any, any better advice. Like just preferably be next to a landline and always, always, clearly say your address that will save your life yeah do you feel like the media does a good job with depicting the roles and responsibilities of your job or of your i believe job? so honestly i i think when it comes to dispatching and 911 call taking yes because i've seen on social media a few little posts even like on the shade room or and i've, I've even um read and seen other people that i know comments on for dispatching and call taking the only thing that we ever get that's like slightly, like like slightly considered negative or backlash is why do nine one one call takers ask so many questions? It's because we're not coming, we're not leaving this desk <laughs> right. to also save you. I don't know what they. I, I feel as though people who are in the midst of an emergency don't realize that the same people you're talking to are not the same people that's coming to you. And just because we are asking you a number of questions does not mean that we haven't sent anybody already on the way. That's why we actually are trained to say, 
um, like a certain line right after. I don't want to say it because I can't actually remember it verbatim, but there's like a specific line that we say like right after we get your address and confirm everything that we say like let you know like they're on their way right like services on the way and then right after that that's when we start the questions but apparently you know people are still ha- are in emergency situations so you have selective hearing and they they just skip over they skip over that and then they just hear the questions we're asking and then they start getting hysterical like why are you still asking me questions i'm telling you that my brother's not breathing Right. Yep. Already sent EMT. Um, We understand that they're having difficulty breathing there. And like, there's literally, there's like, it's kind of like a checklist. It's like, where you at? Oh, okay, cool. Now we know where we're going. All right. What's going on? All right. Now I can disposition this job to say that this is a 54. 54 is any kind of emergency um, ambulatory job, like with an RO. RO is like for EMS dispatch. So then you know like okay what's going on oh difficulty breathing we it's like a checkbox it's like oh and this person's having difficulty you gotta breathing. know what you're working with this exactly the person so now ems knows to come with extra oxygen and, and prepare it right exactly so that's the only things that's like but honestly um police officers have it worse than we do because <laughs> yeah. they're obviously um out on the field and i mean i would definitely say that Unfortunately, there are some bad there are some bad officers out there, mm-hmm. some bad apples out there, and then they make the rest of everybody who's actually there to do their job. Because I have what two family members in the police force, um, up to like sergeants and lieutenants and everything like that, and they're the best people. They're like the entire purpose of being in that position in that job is to create structure and to help their community and everything, but if you just go in there because you just want to have a gun on one side and a baton on this side and just, you know, have that cloud of being an authority-like person and think that nobody could tell you could tell you anything, then unfortunately you can't, there's no way, there's no way to tell that this part, this officer from this officer until you actually, until one of them actually does something wrong. Right, right. So, and the ones that are wrong, I mean, I wish that there was like a tiny little picker. I could just be like, you out, you out, you out, you out, you out, you out. <laughs> like, I definitely think that those bad apples, they really make it hard for people to trust the good ones. Oh, they definitely do. But I don't think, luckily, I feel like you can't have a bad apple in dispatching. You can't have a bad apple in 911 call taking. One, all of our calls are recorded. Um, every single, every single one. And I've actually had to hear myself talk back. So I think I got written up once. Did I get written up? I think I did. But I think it was a lot of people got written up. It was like a big, huge fire in Queens in, the, in like an apartment building. Mm. And I got written up because I took too long to send them to the fire, to dispatch them, to stay, send them straight to the fire department line because it was a multiple imagine like 50 lemon calls coming in from all this from the same building from the same fire but all based on the notes that I was looking at I think I thought I was doing my due diligence by asking one extra question because the person was trying to tell me information tell me that hey this handicapped neighbor of mine is in a wheelchair she I did not see her 
come out as yet. And I'm afraid that she might, and I don't know if she's home, but she might be in her apartment. So I took down the name of the number, the apartment number, and just started writing that information. Because if that person is stuck in there, I would want that note to be in there to possibly right, go, in go and, and check up on her. Right. Exactly. I took too long. As soon as the person said fire, technically, according to your training, when that person says, um, confirms the address and tells you that it's a fire, you're supposed to send them straight to the FD. And I did not do that. So I got written up for that. That was it. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, I took that and I took that too, because I listened to it and then they were like, what were you supposed to do? And I was just like, I was supposed to transfer them straight over to FD. <laughs> right. But then it's just so crazy because you thinking that you're going the extra mile but you actually got reprimanded. Yeah, because um, one thing about one thing about NYPD, it is about structure. It is about it, and it's very procedural. So yeah, you gotta follow things by the book, even though you might have a moment where you're, you think that you're being, you're being, you're doing, you're doing your due diligence. But sometimes when you're doing that, you're falling out of line. Mm. So what do you do when you receive a call that's not an emergency? Because I know niggas like the prank call. Oh, yeah, yeah, Oh, um, prank calls, it depends on how they prank call because some of them prank call and they are really genuinely just playing with you on the phone. But the ones that prank call, unfortunately, and they're like, ah, oh my God, and then they hang up. Unfortunately, we still have to. Us, we still have to call that a 10-10 for, it's called a 10-10 because it's just a calls for help. And mm -hmm. we don't know what the issue is. And then sometimes also we don't know where you are. So that, I definitely want to say, and especially if we're definitely, uh, I'm on, um, we're doing this now. People who make prank calls are selfish. Yeah. They are extremely selfish in my opinion do not call an emergency line if you do not have an emergency. Because all of the other people, it's only but so many police officers that are patrolling in one in, in an evening. You have a many uh, up to like, I mean, Adam, let me see. I think you can have from Adam to like George, like A to G squads um, out um, outside, uh, like actual police squad cars out. And that's two police officers per, uh, per car. So unfortunately, when they get that 1010s call for help, it may not be a priority, but imagine two people go, you know, two patrol cars decide to end up answering that calls for help and then find out that next minute we had like a fire or a domestic violence situation or somebody just got mugged or something on the street, like probably 15, 20 blocks, like in the same borough, but in that, in that area, both of the units went to that call for help and or one went to that to that call of help and then one came to back up that one just in case right now he's mad now them two are over there to the left and emergency just happened to the right but they wasted their time going to the left because of your prank call so what happens when it, when you find out it's a prank call like do they get in trouble I mean, if we get, if we can catch them, some people I've actually, I've the only one time I remember a few times, I remember it was like a person was calling from their landline. Oh, if you're calling from your landline, oh, I'm sending the police to you. It's not a call for help. It's not a call for help. I'm sending the police to you. I'm gonna be like, oh, this call came from this number, this apartment on this floor and everything. The only time that 
the the person doesn't get in trouble is if it's it generally a building and the police cannot gain access into the building. Mm. Like, you know, they press the buttons or they press a thing, a code, and they can't actually gain that there's like a gate or a front door or multiple doors to get through. Police do not have a secret code. The police are not the mail are not the mailmen. They don't have a they don't have a, they don't have a universal key that's just gonna get them into every building on the block. <laughs> you gotta tell them, oh, the gate code is this, or we'll be outside, or we'll really be on the first floor. Right. Something. Or well, you know, or when they pull up, they I mean, we and later on, that's when that's when I found out I was like, let me do dispatching. Cause as soon as I could get off of 911 call taking, I did that for 11 months, even though you technically supposed to do it for a year. Um, I found out after like my 11th month mark, I was able to train for dispatching and then I switched over to dispatching. Dispatching is essentially you're being called central. Cause when police officers walk with that uh, walkie talkie on their shoulder, that's who they're talking to. I'm, mm. that's who I am the person that they're, they're constantly like, grr, 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 grr. Like, that's who I'm talking. Like, I'll be like, all right, I'm going to go send you to so-and-so on this street. This is what's going on, blah, 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 blah. And then they have to talk to me all day long. Right, right. You got to be like, hey, I'm 84, which means I arrived. Or mm. I'm on the way. or And then that's why we have to learn a couple more. Like, you think you learned a whole bunch of codes in, in this back, I mean, in the 911 call taking. You got to take those same codes and now apply them to uh, dispatching because now like after they put in the call for 911, I have to dispatch a unit to that call. That's mm -hmm. what dispatches are. So we take what the 911 call takers input and then dispatch a unit to go to that and figure out, out what that is and then disposition it and let us know what's going on. Like, do you need more assistance? Do you need backup? Is this some bullshit? Right. Um, <laughs> right. Like, let me know what's going on when you get there. Oh, you you Gucci, you good? Oh, oh, now you need a super. Oh, you need a supervisor to come through. Oh, this is a DOA on site. Ah, damn, that's the worst. I'm not even gonna lie. I always feel bad for a police officer who arrives and there's a body on site, and it's like because they actually have to stay there all night. Mm. They have to stay there like hours upon hours, like wait for everybody to come you gotta wait for your lieutenant to come you gotta wait for the coroners to come mm. you gotta wait for all like them to do all the reporting it, i think it's just i think that's like the most paperwork yeah i mean yeah i can only imagine i would think like that and like i think the most in, interesting and intriguing jobs are the ones where um there's a chase i'm not gonna lie those are the worst mm. but those are the most fun like <laughs> Because I would say that's the only time I was like, I think you're typing a mile a minute and talking because there's a mic right here in front of you. And then you're typing like this because your keyboard is right here. And you there's a pedal on the floor that when you hit the pedal, it makes it uh, it allows me to, for them to hear me on the mic. Mm -hmm. So I hit the pedal on the thing and I'm like, what's going on? You know, lift it up. They come in through. They're like, we're chasing. And like, it's... <laughs> It's because they're running. <laughs> so it's like, you are being tested. Yes, your listening skills are being tested. My typing skills, how much information that I'm typing. And as you're typing, you don't want to type a whole bunch, like a whole paragraph and then press enter. No, you want to type, enter, type, enter. Like, because I, like, I want to get this information over. <laughs> like, right, right. 
Because I'm like, oh, we chasing a black male. He's wearing an orange tee, blue jeans. Not, he just went left on so-and-so. He just went south on so-and-so. He's still going down the street. We got this unit already following him, this unit. Where's this unit at? Where y'all at? Y'all see him? Da, 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 da. Like, right, right. No, it's a lot. Go right. Oh, he took off the orange short. Man is now topless running with jeans on. <laughs> Southbound on the FDR. We had people running down the median, medians of like, what do you call it? Was it not the FDR? Um, no, it's the FDR. It's the FDR, yeah. So like the FDR is on the other side. Yep. Wait. So is there ever a time when it's appropriate to hang up on callers? Technically, no. You can terminate a call. Technically, when you terminate a call, is if they are not if they're calling. Like we get people from the psych ward. There's um the psych ward in Brooklyn. Or, and there's one another one in the Bronx. Yes, there's yes. Clarkson and mm-hmm. New York or whatever. Um, we will get calls either from the Bronx psych ward or from that one in Brooklyn. And some of them are calling and saying really depressing things. They're like, some of them are just like, hey, I'm just calling because I just want to talk to somebody. I haven't talked to somebody in so long. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you entertain it because you don't know what their situation is. You don't know if they're on suicide watch or whatever. Right. So I'm like, okay, what you want to talk about? Like, is everything okay with you? Like, you've been you feeling okay? Reading any new good books? Like, right. you entertain like a spot. Of, you just want to pretty much make sure that evaluate the call to a certain extent that you know that the person's not going to harm themselves or others. Right. So what did you think about, oh, go ahead. No, that was it. That was what I was going to say. Oh, I was going to say, what do you think about, what was your thoughts on a 911 dispatcher hanging up on a caller during the Buffalo shooting? Oh, I don't even, I would hope, Buffalo, oh wait, that was recent, isn't that? Yeah, when I what? yeah. Oh, okay. Um, no, I didn't even hear about that. They hung up on a they hung up on a caller yeah the caller was there during a shooting trying to call 911 for help mm-hmm. and the dispatcher hung up oh i'm guessing and then unfortunately they had that recorded so that dispatcher probably got fired yeah she um, did yeah because that's kind of fucked up <laughs> like, yeah. that's, that's kind of fucked up yeah we don't you technically are never supposed to terminate a call unless there is no sound and honestly you we we still send out calls on calls that where they said nothing. If they call nine one one and they are saying absolutely nothing, and you just hear like breathing in the background, mm-hmm. that person could have been stabbed, shot, and can barely talk and can't catch their breath. Right. So, yeah, we're gonna send somebody your way. So it's yeah, no, thoroughly fucked up if you hang up on anybody that calls for emergency services. Yes, we unfortunately there are some hard there's some you know pranksters out there that don't understand the levity of an emergency line like that but no never hang up on somebody because you would never want somebody to hang up on you but yeah. everybody's real different you know and honestly i think as soon as she hung up that call or hung up on that person i think she knew she was going to be fired yeah <laughs> yeah and also there is just no way for you not to think that you fucked up in that moment right and later on on the news it probably she probably saw it later on on the news and then absolutely knew she was going to be fired right and i also feel like this is not a job where you can just relax on because i was doing research for this and 
for this conversation. And I saw that it was a Houston 911 dispatcher and she spent 10 days in jail and she got 18 months of probation because she was hanging up on thousands of callers. Really? Yeah. Well, that would make sense. Because honestly, I mean, I would hope that she, they would have some level of reprimand because those are so many lives. Yeah, it was crazy. That could have, that probably ended, that could have been like, that the scenarios could have ended up so much different if they actually got help in time or, you know, the police were there or somebody was there to save them. Those scenarios, that's kind of messed up. And then, I mean, that's why I feel like I don't think that they're bad apples in this job, but there probably definitely are people who are, who have been, who've been doing the job too long that they're almost over it that they no longer have that empathy in them anymore because I can totally see that because this job can suck a lot of the life out of you I've seen multiple co-workers who have had strokes on the job um who definitely feel slighted or slighted by just the actual New York City Police Department and like their pay and their schedule and things like that. And they probably take it out, take it out on their work. You know, it's not, I mean, I would hope that it's never like just being like careless to whom you're speaking to, because at the end of the day, every single person that's calling is obviously calling for something, right. for some level of assistance, for something, for some type of aid. And that's literally what your job is. Hence why you said, like, why do people get into jobs like this? Because you want to help people. So if you don't want to help people, you don't need to have this job. Right. Like, and some some aspect of you needs to needs to have some care for others to be in this job. Because if you don't give a fuck about others and you're that you're one of those type of people who's like, I could care less. Right. Then I'm pretty sure, honestly, most people like that. They they slowly dwindle. Like if I came in with twenty five people, um, after the at, by the end of the academy, it was like fifteen of us. Mm. They they fall out. Like they fall like flies to the wayside, honey. Like <laughs> as you're learning the job, my homegirl, she's still my homegirl to this day. But after training, she quit after like week one, week two. Mm. When you're actually on the job, yeah. So in what ways does this job affect you mentally? Um, definitely taught me just how to handle certain situations and how not to set myself up. Also, um, I would say that mentally, it makes you just appreciate life, girl. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you appreciate life in a lot of scenarios that you joke about even my jokes like I know I joke all day and a lot of people my friends know me that I can talk wild shit and I got jokes for days but um certain situations you can't even joke about (laughs) you can't can't joke about domestic violence um domestic violence or just any kind of fighting like because I mean any version of fighting, I've never personally been in a fight. And I used to tell people this all the time. I was just like, I never actually ever actually been in a physical fight because apparently I must have such great friends around me that every time I was about to be attacked, one of them swooped in already. Right, right. <laughs> Molly walked the person for me, but I was just kind of like, but scenarios like just randomly getting stabbed on the street or 
people running you down on the street to attack you like that boy like I was on the job when that boy the Spanish in the Bronx Bronx got stabbed by a whole bunch of people yes I was sitting in Brooklyn I was sitting in Brooklyn dispatch and when that was heartbreaking oh my god a couple a few of my co-workers in the Bronx got that call and then when you actually see it it's like (laughs) I don't even know how to explain so and then the phone calls that you've gotten before so I remember a person that said that they were bleeding out and had no idea where they were but when they look up into the sky it's dark it's mad bushes and they're that they were make they were also saying that if they look across into this other bush they can see like these glowing eyes looking back at them Girl, I was like, I did so much tracking. I was like, this person's got to be at the Botanical Zoo. <laughs> like at the zoo, at the Bronx Zoo or something like must have fell over into the thing, into a pit or something. Because they were making it sound like they got shot also. So I was just like, I don't know. Down to just the fights, the let out of parties. I, I worked 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. in New York. Yeah. <laughs> So the let out for parties, the let out for parties, oh my God, the let out for parties in any neighborhood that was heavily Hispanic. Yeah. It was, a, it was Corona bottles and fights everywhere. <laughs> oh my God. It was just, it was like, it was pure alcoholism. It was, it was people who didn't want, it was taking Ubers home and didn't want to get out the Ubers. It was Uber drivers calling us and saying that, the passenger passed out in the back seat and refusing to leave. It's a whole bunch of stuff. Like, I just know based on those scenarios, how not to set myself up for any of those situations. And then also how this kind of safeguard a lot of my friends around me to make sure that they don't end up in those situations. My friends have their tracking on. We yeah. <laughs> yeah. You better text me when you get there, when you got there, when you leave in there. And I mean, if they're a real one in your day one, then honestly, anywhere that y'all go together, y'all should be leaving together anyway. Right, right. So after a long day, how did you unwind? Like, what did your self-care look like? Because just to hear, some, I mean, the, the story with the little girl was just a lot with her brother. Mm-hmm. Like, what did you do? I took longer than 10 minutes. <laughs> that, yeah. they, um, that they tried to give me. They were like, oh, go take a 10, 15 minute break. And I was I'm like, no, I can't just go home after this. Like, this was tumultuous and emotionally draining. Jeez. And wait, not for nothing. If you're taking 10 or 15 minutes, I can only imagine how desensitized that can make a person. Yeah, you're only taking 10, 15 minutes because, I mean, unless you want to formally take a break or take your lunch or do something early, like, no, you are... Um, Taking 10, 15 minutes, go get use a bottle of water, something, walk around for like two seconds, don't go too far. And then you walk your ass right back into that room and get right back on the calls. And and then I think the worst thing that ever happened is if you're having already, feeling like you're having a long day, the one thing that everybody I would imagine hates at working for um, New York City Police Department were the mandatory holds. The mandatory holds, like I told you earlier, came three times a week, could come three times a week. So imagine if I'm thinking I'm just about to get off at 6.30 in the morning. I'm like, oh, I got 30 more minutes, bitch, be out of here. And then at 6.45, somebody comes up to your desk and puts a paper on your desk telling you that you stay in here until 3 p.m. And it's like, 
Oh my God. It was kind of it was kind of one of those moments was like, how much sick time do I have? <laughs> like it was kind of like one of those moments. It was kind of like the only way that you can get out of a man, something mandatory was like if you had FMLA, which I didn't have. And um, because I didn't care for any, I wasn't caring for anybody. Um, like I eventually, like I was later on at towards the end with my mother. And um yeah, sick time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and honestly, if you didn't want to use your sick time, then obviously you would sick, you would stay there. You would be sitting there. And luckily, so many people would come in for the next shift from seven to from seven to three or from um or from early or people would come early from the three to eleven shift that luckily magically at some point in the day like you know you've got a glimmer of hope and that maybe at 11 a.m four hours later somebody's like oh you can go home mm. and this was like did i just do 12 hours i did i sure did just do 12 hours time for me to take my ass home but mind you still gotta come back by 11 p.m that night right so I know that you left this position because your mom had a stroke. So do you think that you would still be doing this if she didn't have her stroke? Um, probably not. Honestly, I took the uh, police officer test, like I said earlier, and I did pass that. And they were, by the time um, I was in the, like, really in the midst of taking care of my mom, because my mom had the stroke out in Denver, we had to fly her back. Um, we had to fly her back to New York and then when and that she's I was the only one that was living in New York my sister lived in Georgia my mom is divorced from my father my brother doesn't live with us anymore right. so I was the only person living in New York so bringing my mom home to New York um, to take care of her was not ready for it all yeah um, by myself um, and then we didn't have like AIDS or anything like all the finances and medical stuff set up yet so a lot of it was on me by myself. So that was a lot. And I definitely, that's how I ended up getting FMLA. And um, I would say, to answer your question, towards the end, I don't think I would have been doing dispatching or 911 call taking because, because I passed the test, I had gotten the memo to start police academy for being a police officer. But I decided not to do it. Mm. And one more question, because I think this is a good uh, question, just in case if anybody's yeah. in a situation and they don't know how to communicate. Um, what are some other ways somebody can communicate without making a lot of noise? Communicate without making a lot of noise? In what way? What do you mean? Because I was reading something about the 911 silent call procedure. Well, I'm not even, I, that might be something more updated because we anything that was a silent call, we would handle as a 1010 calls for help because it depends on one, if we are able to track the call, what we're hearing on the line, because even after a call, we can play back the call to see if like, maybe we missed something so that we can add additional information. Like, mm -hmm. okay, you know what, towards this, you know, two minutes and 30 seconds into the call, I did hear like a siren or some type of railroad tracks in the background. Mm -hmm like or like a door open because let's say we'll have a lot of those site calls and in those site calls a lot of them are just there listening to us talk and we used to have some regulars actually there was um i think her name was like bonnie or donna or something she always called 
and cussed everybody out. <laughs> everybody out. Y'all motherfuckers don't know shit and shit is this. And I used to suck dick back in the day and I used to do this and that and the third on the block. And like, yo, she used to just cuss. It's just, it was like nasty talking cussing. That's all she did. <laughs> she used to be like, Hi, girl. Mm -hmm. Thank you for calling. You know, this is an emergency line. Don't do this again now. Right. You don't want to have to send nobody to you. Fuck you. Send whomever you want to send. <laughs> like, it's like, it was like, all right, girl. It was just, and then sometimes it'd be like, like you could hear the, like, the, like a whole bunch of like, uh, what do you call it? Like shuffling for a second. Mm -hmm. And then two seconds later, it's like her nurse is like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, love. You go through this every day. It's <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. All right, I, like it's so like you know. Sometimes you'll hear it, or sometimes it'll be like some people they'll be like, my nurse, my nurse is, um, my nurse is abusing me, and so they're like, if they actually say words that sound like they're in need, it's like yes, of course, a, a nurse nurses aren't a hundred percent saints, so nurses. Right. Can, you know, treat people badly as well to a certain extent. So, yep, we got to go and find out if that person's claim is true or maybe that nurse is not even in the room. Right, <laughs> you know? right. You never know. But um, anything that's quiet, si completely silent. Um, I do know before I left, because this is like between like almost two, three years ago, before I left, um they were doing this new 911 text. They were testing out that, that was a new division where people can text 911 messages, phone calls, audios, and things of that nature to see if that was gonna be a new method of emergency services. But mm. no, the new silent something I, that you just said, no, never heard of it. Mm. Well, I think this was very informative. Um, I really do appreciate you taking the time out to speak with me. I feel like this is going to help a lot of people because I love interviewing professionals, especially those professionals that don't get the recognition that y'all deserve because y'all are definitely the backbone. Yeah, we, it, I mean, I think if you have to have, definitely have to have a heart for these jobs and you have to have a sense of self for these jobs. And then you also have to also remember to put yourself, I also kind of, it's kind of like knowing yourself, but also being able to put yourself to the side for others, because a lot of people will either check you, knock you down or question you. And you need to know, like, I know my job. I know what I was doing. I know the procedure from top to bottom. Like you just have, like, it feels, it's almost kind of like, you are like, you can feel like you are an authority figure and you know every aspect of your job, but with the second that one thing goes wrong, everybody is going to either blame you, question you, something. So you need to know yourself. You need to have your confidence. You have to be a good communicator, everything. And just also just have a heart because I can, I feel like the people who hang on, hanging up on people, you must have no heart because you must be soulless. Or I don't care if you're having a bad day. That's why you have to have a sense of self because you have to leave your bad day at the door before you enter into that building. So it's not about you. Once you put on the uniform, it's not about you. That's why I feel like 
police officers, those bad apple police officers, it's not about you, son. It's not about how you feel about this black person or how you feel about this race or this ethnicity. That's not your part of your job. Your part of your job is to protect and serve mm. all of us. <laughs> all of them, all right? Like everybody, everybody them. <laughs> And on that note, if y'all have any questions, comments, or concerns, please make sure to email me at hello at the phdpodcast.com. And until next time, everyone, later. You're not going to say bye? Oh, it's for me to say bye too. Hi, bye, everybody. <laughs> if you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.